Good afternoon, seven investors, and welcome to frigid West Palm Beach. It is 45 degrees here. I have never experienced temperatures like this. I, I felt like maybe I woke up and like you guys like snuck me off to Steve's house. But this is Seven Investing Now. My name is Daniel Brooks Klein. I'm being joined by Simon Erickson and Manisha Sammy. Simon, are you getting this in Texas? Did, did, did the, the, the northern cold seep down all the way there? I feel for you, Dan. We're in the 50s here, not the 40s. Good luck, my friend. Hang in there. <laughs> and, and Manisha, have you dug out? Did you get buried up where you are? Not yet, but apparently next week it's supposed to be like in minus in the minus territories uh, in Fahrenheit. So I'm stocking up on food and water. <laughs> oh, company company retreat to the Bahamas as soon as that is possible. But we got a really busy show. So when we plan this show, I usually start after the previous show planning the next show and starting usually i know who's going to be on usually i have some idea of what's in the news and then we adjust it as the news happens so let me give you an example here we knew amazon earnings were coming that's predictable we did not know that jeff bezos was going to step down simon how surprised were you yesterday it is surprising. It's Jeff Bezos. He's worth $200 billion, Dan. I mean, this seems like such a big deal, right? And in reality, I never expected I was going to say this, but I think for investors, this is not a big deal. I think it's going to be just fine. And Jeff is still going to be the visionary leader he always has been. And he's going to handle the execution of a lot of these big picture ideas off to his right-hand man going forward. So, the new CEO is, uh, I'm going to nickname him here. I'm going to go Classy Andy Jassy. Uh, I'm assuming that's how he pronounces his name. Uh, that, that I, might, I haven't even heard it out loud. That's how news this is. So, but let's, so he's been running the cloud division. We're going to come back to your point in a second. Simon, does this sort of show how important the cloud is to Amazon? It is a big part of their profits. Is this not a pivot away from, from retail, but is this just a sign that they understand that their revenue is largely going to come, or not their revenue, their profits are largely going to come from the cloud side of the business? Uh, the profits do. 60% of operating profit from all of Amazon is coming from Amazon Web Services right now, even though that division, in fact, actually everything outside of e-commerce for Amazon is only 12% of the top line. So you see a contribution that's becoming more and more important. And I think that, that Andy didn't just kind of come out of left field. I mean, he's been at Amazon since 97, I believe. He's run the AWS group since its inception. And he's kind of been right there with Jeff the whole way saying, this is the future. This is what we really need to focus on. And here's how step-by-step step we're going to get it done. So I think that's the right pick for the CEO going forward. Um, the real interesting thing to me is going to be what Jeff Bezos is going to focus his time on going forward. So, so we'll talk about that in a bit, and we'll bring Manisha Sammy back into the conversation. We're going to be taking some of your questions later, and a lot of them are for, are for Manisha. So if we're a little light on Manisha at the beginning, we will go heavy on her later on. But Simon, I liken this to, uh, to Bob Iger at Disney, where everyone reports this as Jeff Bezos has stepped down. I'd argue that he stepped up, and this is probably how the company has been operating for quite a while. He already spends one day a week at Blue Origin. He spends Wednesdays fully at Blue Origin. He spends other time on other things. Where is he going to turn his attention as these, these changes take place? He's got a lot of things to keep him busy, Dan. That is for sure. Uh, you know, we've already seen that he's been working on this Washington Post project, the Earth Fund project, Amazon Day One phil philanthropy, you know, the fund that he's created for, for things like this. I am actually think that Jeff is most interested in Blue Origin. I think that he wants to colonize space, not colonize Mars. I think he wants to colonize space. 
I think he wants to create space colonies, as crazy as that might sound today. But if you see his presentation, even from a couple of years ago, he has a vision of putting trillions with the T of people into space that have artificial gravity and perfect weather. And that's going to be his solution to kind of the, the, you know, the resources that are becoming shorter and shorter in supply of not even the United States, but the entire world. And when you see him so Sorry, passionately talking in. about this, yeah, it's very interesting. Do we have trillions of people? <laughs> I mean, he's saying there's going to be trillions of people. From last I count, I think it was 7 billion people on the planet. But, um, you know, he's, I guess, looking for the longer term. <laughs> that could go up. I was going to say, I don't want to jump the gun here because I am bullish on space colonies. I, I felt we'd have that by now, Manisha. I'm, as we've discussed many times, the oldest one in the group. But when I was 15, I thought 100% by the time I was 47, I'd be taking my moon trip. I'd be on a, a moon cruise or whatever it is. And that has not happened. Being younger was the same thing sold to you. And, and I'm talking about this jokingly because it does feel like Bezos is really the person working to make something happen based on the same like cartoons I watched you know, back in the 80s. Manisha, your thoughts here. I'm just thinking if we're going to have trillions of people um, and human beings, we need uh, a lot more food supply. So my thought is, okay, well, where does biology come in to increase yields? That, that's just my thoughts uh, in terms of producing enough calories that we can feed trillions of people. There's already a deficit right now, and we're adding to that. Um, so I think it's, it, it, the, these technologies go hand in hand. So um, we can feed more people through biological tools, increasing uh, plant crops. And I think that's another area to look at um, to actually realize uh, his vision of having trillions of people, including uh, just being in space as well. <laughs> Bioengineering the food supply is something we should absolutely do a whole show on because there's all sorts of innovation in that area. We've touched on it at times. We, of course, would love your comments. Wherever you're watching this, uh, we'll take some comments and questions as we go. Simon, let's sum up the CEO thing. Um, I, I sort of cut you off there. I just, like you, I don't think this is a big deal. I think this is giving a person a title that reflects probably what he was already doing. Does this change anything for Amazon? Does it at least get to be day two? Or is it still, you know, a pedal to the metal, nothing changes? I do think that Amazon's continuing to invent new things that are that are exciting. You know, that's kind of one of the concepts. There's four principles of, of Amazon. You know, they want to be customer focused. One of the other ones is that they always want to be inventors. They want to be creating new things like two-day shipping and everything they've done with e-commerce and everything they've done with web services. And of course, data is is kind of the the foundation of all of that. And so it makes sense that web services is going to be kind of a really big focus of this company going forward. I also think that Amazon's advertising business is underrated and undervalued right now. And that is something that is getting a lot of uh, top line growth that isn't being talked about in the same context as Google or Facebook. We're going to talk about Google earnings a little early, a little later in the show. Can't talk about it earlier in the show. That would not work. <laughs> the only thing I don't like about Blue, Blue Origin is it sounds like a pet food company. It is a <laughs> terrible name for a company that literally isn't just focused on the logistics of getting things into space like SpaceX is. It's focused on all of these ancillary things like what would we eat? Where would we sleep? How would the bathroom work? Like there's a lot of problems. And when you go into space and then you get somewhere, that's a whole new set of problems because gravities are different and atmospheres are different. But Simon, give, give us the, the top line. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this because we're so busy. Give us the top line on Amazon's quarter. It was another blowout quarter, right? 
Yeah, it is. I mean, I think that it just, you you see the the steady business. I mean, the e-commerce platform is still growing at 40% a year, right? I mean, you, you can kind of see that it's not slowing down. It's accelerating as this market continues to expand. You kind of think of, of Amazon as, you know, it's, it's the, the elephant in the room, you know, it's the really big dog, it's the, the leader. But when you've got a market that still is figuring out cloud computing, um, there's there's plenty more growth for this business ahead. I think that it's going to be just fine for investors. So I'm going to take a question from Turth P and then I'm going to throw it to Manisha to talk about Amazon and healthcare. Uh, but Turth asks, what companies uh, do you think could benefit from Amazon's massive earnings? I'm not usually a fan of playing this game because when you sell to an Amazon or do business with an Amazon, they absolutely squeeze you on margins. It could be a it, you could have huge orders. My family used to sell to Home Depot and it was a massive insurance requirement. It was every year they cut the margins. You have to find a couple cents on everything to make the price cheaper to them. So I wouldn't look at it. What I, where I do think Amazon's growth will benefit. I think it is going to be a, a backstop for real estate. I think there is a lot of empty real estate. We're going to talk about that in your questions. Uh, there's a lot of empty real estate and Amazon's going to fill it. That's going to be thousands of grocery stores, probably thousands of Amazon Go pickup stores. I was at the mall the other day uh, and there was an Amazon four-star store, which is a really fun store to go through. You really see the best of the best of Amazon. That is going to, the, the Amazon distribution centers, that's going to help fill up some of the vacant re real estate we have right now. We have offices that aren't going to be needed. We have retail stores that aren't going to be needed. And Amazon is going to help with that. So I don't know that it's going to be a giant boon for any like real estate plays, but I do think it's going to, going to prevent their bottoms. Simon, Manisha, anything you want to add on, on ancillary companies that'll be benefited by Amazon? I mean, the, the place that, that nobody's complaining about getting squeezed on margins is, is cloud-hosted software, right? I mean, think, think about all the software as a service companies that are using AWS as the backbone for hosting their software in the cloud, and they're still getting 80, 90% gross margins from that. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's why this is such a, a value. I mean, Amazon, AWS is getting 33% operating margins right now, and its customers are getting 80 to 90% gross margins. I mean, that's a win-win when you see that transition. So I think that's why we... we we focus on that side of the business. Amazon has driven cloud prices cheaper. Manisha, how does this impact their healthcare business? I, I see you bursting through wanting to get in. So if there's something else you want to say, say it as well. You're on mute, Manisha. Yep, Manisha's audio has cut out. So she's doing a wonderful performance. But we <laughs> cannot hear her. I am so excited about this because even with the transition, what it tells me at the very least um, you know, of course, I have a bias, everything healthcare focused, but um, AWS is the backbone of next generation sequencing and a lot of analytics. So having this uh, management transition, I think that also solidifies the, um, I guess, the dedication that Amazon has uh, in terms of moving healthcare forward. For example, they're building a high throughput genomics batch workflow on AWS. What does that mean? Um, right now, the bottleneck for doing genomic sequencing is compute power. And I mean, they even have um, collaborations with NVIDIA, who provides the chips for sequencing technology. Uh, so what we can look for uh, towards is that bottleneck should compress over time um, and as, 
which is great for Amazon. And I think they're, uh, so the way that they're actually entering into the healthcare system is basically reducing the bottlenecks that we're seeing, which should help accelerate how many people can actually get sequenced and the compute power and the analytics behind it. Um, that's a huge part that people don't understand. You can get, so you can have these sequencing machines, you get your genome sequenced, but we need that power to actually analyze and interpret what that actually means. And that is what Amazon is trying to do. So I think having this transition is a positive thing for healthcare. I'll give Simon the last word on, on Amazon's earnings in a second. In the next segment, we're gonna talk about Google earnings, Chipotle earnings, and a possible drug for Alzheimer's. Simon, couple of highlights here. Anything else we need to, to think about with Amazon earnings? It just blows my mind, Dan, that this company is now doing $100 billion a quarter in revenue. I mean, let that sink in how big they've gotten in the last, uh, since what, 1996-ish? Yeah, it's that's, amazing. That's, that's like 100 GameStops per quarter. <laughs> and, and Bezos has been at the helm the whole time, you know, for um, 24 years-ish at this point. I mean, it's an incredible run that we've had with Amazon. I, I think it continues further. I don't think there's anything to worry about for investors, but just the magnitude and the sheer dominance of that company is very impressive. So before we get to what we're watching, let's talk about a little bit about this show and a little bit about what happens on the first of the month. So Simon had a great idea today. And one of the problems here is we get to so much stuff and I can verbally tell you, I can put stuff out on Twitter, but I don't, you can't really see what's coming up next. So we're working on some graphic packages where you're gonna be able to get, uh, if I dare use the word, a rundown on what the show is uh, is gonna be, what's gonna come. It's really exciting. We've got Max Chatsko working on it. We've got Sam Bailey working on it, myself, a lot of people putting it into making this show easier to watch. But Simon, we're at the third of the month now. It is my son's 17th birthday, which is crazy to believe. He was born <laughs> two, three, four, which as a parent who's not great at remembering things, that's awesome. <laughs> you can't forget that one. But Simon, what happens on the first of the month that people should be very excited about? Well, on, on Groundhog Day Eve, we released our newest recommendations for February. Uh, we put together our seven top stock market opportunities. So these are the, com the companies that we think are the best, uh, the best stock picks out there. Each one of us comes up with one, and we release those to 7investing subscribers at 7investing.com. So those came out a couple of days ago, and um, we're, we're pretty stoked about these picks. I was very intrigued by your pick this month, Dan. And they're awesome. I, I mean, I could tell you, I owned one of the picks anyway. I believe I owned Manisha's pick. Um, I bought Max's pick. I may have even bought another. Or, But every month at our call when we talk about this, there's always two companies I've never heard of. I mean, well, there's always two biotech companies I've never heard of. There's always two other companies I've never heard of. And the fact that we're researching and our research is so broad and so deep, uh, that's really exciting to me. So if you want to join the party, that's 7investing.com slash subscribe. And I say party because we're really an interactive service. We don't have millions of members. Uh, so we can really interact with you. We get back to your email really, really quickly. We're gonna make some of that content on the site. So if you ask us a good question and we type out a really long answer, we can share it. Or if we have a video call, maybe we'll share that. We have some really exciting things coming. Silvertrap, I see your question. I'm gonna take that at the end of the show. That ties into what we're doing in the finisher. Uh, so we'll absolutely get at least part of your question up. If any of you have questions or comments, anything you want to ask us, get it in. But it is a busy show, so we're going to move quickly. Simon, you wanted to talk about Alphabet and Chipotle earnings. Let's start with Chipotle. I am a, uh, I am a big fan of the product. I am not an owner of the business, which is a giant mistake. How did they do this quarter? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, this is a company that's continuing to do pretty well. Comps are up 5.7%. I, I think that the question that's kind of being framed is, is, is it back to normal to Chipotle, right? Like we remember the good old <laughs> days of Chipotle in 2013 and 2014. And then kind of 2015 happened and we had the E. coli outbreak. And then we had the norovirus outbreak. And it seemed like everybody was like, oh, I'm staying away from Chipotle for a while. Have we resumed back to normal again? I think that in terms of uh, putting those problems behind them, Chipotle has has done fine with that. But I also think that, Dan, that the thing that stands out to me as a long-term investor who's very interested in a company like this is that the restaurant-level margins, so that's what Chipotle's restaurants capture after they pay all the labor costs, the food costs, the overhead, and things like that, has kind of dipped over the last five years. You know, at the peak, we were seeing 28 29% restaurant-level margins. And then as it rightfully should have, Chipotle put a lot of emphasis on food safety. Um, they focused a lot on increasing the throughput of their restaurants. And we'll talk about that in a second here of what that means. But margins are kind of 17, 18, 19% now. So it's definitely not exactly the same Chipotle, even with all the progress they've made in five years. So Simon, is a big piece of that that besides just the food safety, there's an added expense to, to digital orders. So I don't know exactly where that comes in, but they're using third parties. They're using Postmates. I believe they're using Grubhub. They might be using everybody now. I think I've ordered from more than one service. They added a second make line in nearly every store, meaning when you walk into the store and you see the guy making your tacos and it takes like 20 minutes if there's two people in line because they're also fulfilling digital orders. They're not doing that anymore. The digital orders are being done on a second setup in the back. They're probably using the front now because so much there's very little restaurant dining. Um, but do you think that's just a fact of life that they're going to have to expand by adding stores? And they talked a lot about going back to adding at least 200 stores a year. Yes, that is, Dan. And when you get into the trenches and you look at the numbers, you see that half of sales are not being placed digitally, right? People are using their smartphone rather than walking into the restaurant when they're placing and paying for their order. And so what does Chipotle have to do to support that? Well, they have to build out an app. They have to support the app. They have to support the delivery if people want to have it delivered to their food. And they want, and they'd also have you know other lines to kind of fulfill these other orders that they're getting from smartphones rather than in the restaurant. And so the expense line item that has increased most dramatically has been other operating expenses, right? Not a, a crazy fancy name, but it's kind of all of that <laughs> behind the scenes stuff that goes into supporting that. And that's what's been compressing margins. Now, the question is going to be, does this pay off for Chipotle or does it now just have more employees than it probably needed or at least needed before in order to change the changing habits of, of, of people? We'll see if this continues uh, when things get back to normal and people start going into the stores in person again. I've got one last question here, and it's based on personal experience. So I've talked about on the show how I went through the Chipotle lane, and it's chaos because it's a drive-through that doesn't take your order. And an awful lot of people get to the thing, and they're like, I will have a burrito. <laughs> and it's like, well, that's not how it works. It's not communicated well. But Simon, do you think this is just kind of growing pains, and some of these extra people will eventually be organized out as they smooth down the process? I think that's most likely. I don't know if I'm, I'm sure that that is what's going to happen yet because <clears throat> Chipotle, they, they go all in, you know, whether it's food safety or throughput or whatever program they're doing. I mean, this is the corporate initiatives they take very seriously. And so I, I, I do think that a lot of these expenses are likely to recur. Again, for us as in investors, we want Chipotle to be a compounding machine, right? Rinse and repeat the format of every store in the exact same way and capture 28% margins from each one of them. We'll see if uh, if that continues. I, I would like to see margins a little higher than the than the mid teens, like we're looking at right now. 
We're going to get to uh, to Google earnings next, and then I promise we will get Manisha Sammy on talking about the state of Alzheimer drugs. Uh, but Simon, let me throw it out. I don't know if Brian Nickel is watching. I don't know if he's a fan of the program. Here's what you need, Chipotle. Breakfast. All you need to add is eggs and <laughs> potatoes, and the menu is roughly the same. And one of the ways to add your profit margin is to make money in more hours of the day. It's the reason why breakfast and late nights, even if you just did breakfast as drive-through only with a minimal staff, I'm sure that's in the works, but you own the building, you spread your operating costs. I'm sure Chipotle knows this. I don't understand why they don't do it when Wendy's has made such a splash with basically a commercial that's, hey, we're Wendy's, our breakfast isn't terrible like other places, and the photos look better. Like that's that's their whole system, and it's working. We're gonna grab some of your questions, but. Google earnings. This was a Simon. You've got a bold idea for Google that that comes out of its earnings. Your thoughts here? Well, I mean, we I think we we kind of look at three different segments of this, right? And you know, by the way, Google search is doing just fine. We we don't need to rehash. I think the earnings for its core business because it's it's a it's very similar to what we've we've always expected from Google. But the parts I want to talk about are YouTube. I want to talk about Google Cloud. And then I want to talk about other bets. And I have opinions on each one of those, Dan, depending on which one you would like to look at first. Uh, let's go with YouTube, a product that I use to watch music videos and my son uses like 14 hours a day. So let's start with the YouTube numbers. Everyone else is using it 14 hours a day too, it seems, because revenue was up 47%. They're, they're now honing in on $30 billion a year from YouTube. And for those that are you know, familiar or not familiar with YouTube, it's similar to other Google properties. They're placing ads within those. But then we've also got YouTube Premium, right? You can buy for $12 a month and got, not have any ads. And a lot of this is just user-generated content, you know, people uploading things to YouTube, uh, creators developing their own things. And then there's also content, of course, you can watch all across it. But the idea is that $30 billion a year with so much attention on regulatory and you know, data privacy and everything else that Google's already in the crosshairs of, why not consider rolling out YouTube into its separate company to compete as a streaming service against Netflix, against Hulu, against Disney Plus, against everybody else who is seeing this opportunity for content going to streaming, and then take the organic cash flows and a company that might be worth $300 billion at 10 times sales in today's environment, using some of that equity to go out and buy up some really good content I think YouTube would be a very interesting divestiture for Google to spin out for its own independent company. Simon, what about the problem there that so much of their revenue is advertising and when you have the search revenue, you have that team, is that something that you spin it off but maybe contract back with the the old parent company? Sort of the way that for for years, PayPal and eBay were, were still linked together after they split and then eventually they sort of spun up that tech. Is that how you envision it? Yes, correct. So use China's companies as a model, right? This is exactly what Baidu did. This is exactly what Tencent did. This is exactly what JD does. I mean, they spin off companies and they keep the core AI and you know the know-how within the parent company. Nothing wrong with doing that. I would foresee the same situation happening with Alphabet. I'm going to take a couple of questions for you here, Simon, before we get to, uh, to, to the other areas. Uh, does Google's ad strength bode well for a company like MGNI? Uh, I know that's one we've talked about before. Again, I'm always wary of this because you have a lot of leverage when you become a major, major customer. So being a vendor is great, but you can get squeezed. And we saw what happened with TikTok when they moved some of their back end stuff around. It could hurt some of these smaller companies. But quickly, your thoughts here, Simon. 
Yeah, Magnite is, a, is an ad tech platform that's on the supply side of programmatic advertising. So in common English, that means there's publishers, there's advertisers, there's platforms in the middle that connect those two uh, using programmatic algorithms. And so companies like that have to compete against uh, big fish like, like Alphabet and like Amazon. But there's also an advantage to them being independent and not using the same types of algorithms. I, I think it's a not a not a terrible nor a wonderful thing. Uh, to see Google's ad business growing for, for a company like Magnite that is independent. Water going down the wrong pipe on a live television show <laughs> creates, oh, an interesting voice apparently, but creates some interesting dilemmas. Simon, their cloud growth was massive, but not up there with Amazon's. Did you like those numbers? Uh, Dan, could you rephrase the question for five more minutes, please? I didn't quite understand <laughs> what you're not just kidding with you. Please, take, <laughs> please have another drink of water. Uh, Google Cloud is very interesting because it's growing 46%. Just very strong, just like AWS is as well. Uh, here's some interesting numbers that came out of the conference call. Was the cloud backlog for Google Cloud is now $30 billion. So that's about three years worth of revenue they have backlogged, already contracted. And then the number of deals that are worth more than $250 million tripled year over year. Google, of course, is really interested in developing the software that complements the infrastructure that they have in place. Google Cloud, if you've been paying attention, is one of the, the most focused on parts of the business. It's clearly gaining some traction out there, especially from larger customers. Simon, how worried should I be about other bets? This seems like a sinkhole for money. Uh, where nothing works. Uh, you know, the, the only thing they create is controversy in these divisions. Is anything going well in the other bets or, or talk to it broadly? Man, this is a tough one for me, Dan, because you know I love innovation. You know I love companies that are taking swings for the fences like this. And for years I've been saying, yeah, other bets is going to be awesome. Go get it, Alphabet. Ruth Porat, go you know, direct the cash flow to the most promising opportunities. But I'm just not seeing the traction from this approach. And let me tell you what that means is we love it when companies find a market niche that needs a solution, and then they incrementally improve that over time and they become the best in breed, right? That's exactly what Google's done with YouTube, with its core search for SEO, for everything else. It's been kind of incrementally plug it into the AI, make it better and better. That's a lot different than some of the, the swings that Google Bets has been taking for its other bets. You know, when you're talking about life sciences, it wants to have diabetic contact lenses that can monitor glucose. Uh, it's talking about the smart home. It wants to have the nest in every family to monitor and, and automatically control temperatures. And then we've got, you know, self-driving cars and balloons that will transmit wireless internet over large areas. I mean, these aren't markets that are saying, okay, we're ready. Let's do this. This is Google and Larry Page going out there and saying, hey, let's change the world. Let's spend a lot of money on doing something really big and seeing if the market catches up for us. I think, and, they, I think they killed the balloons, for the record. I yeah. think that project is over. And they shut down a lot of projects, right? Whether it's X or other bets or whatever the group is, you see Google is not afraid to, to sunset um, the projects that don't work out. And this is kind of, it, it's not a huge impact compared to the size of Google's other businesses where it's deriving most, most of its revenue. But if you look at kind of a longer time frame, you look over the last three years rather than just the last quarter, other bets has produced a revenue of $1.9 billion, right? A lot of that's coming from the nest anyway, barely a little bit too. So $2 billion in revenue, operating loss of $13 billion, right? So there, this is a sinkhole for money still. We've been talking about this a long time. We want Google to succeed here. I love the innovation, innovative approach, but I can understand why some patient, some investors are getting impatient for this because we just aren't seeing the markets saying, yes, we want this. Here's the money. Um, 
at some point you've got to you've got to flip the switch and go commercial and start printing profits from this. Uh, I'll, I'll throw out two thoughts here before we swing to to Manisha here, uh, Simon. First of all, some of these things feel like if Jeff Bezos had put Blue Origin under Amazon. And the reality is some of these are better, they're for the betterment of mankind, they should have been done with Sergey Sergey Brin's money outside of the structure of Google. Maybe Google could have taken a stake in each one uh, in case they pay off. I'm not a shareholder, but if I was, I would be very concerned about how many incredibly expensive. Two, I will point out that I've been pitching Simon on self-driving investing advice for years, <laughs> and he keeps saying no because it doesn't make any sense. Like, but but you know, teasing a little bit, Manisha Sammy, we have not had a new Alzheimer's drug in a really long time. You wanted to bring us up to date on where the leading candidate for the next step in this stands. Yeah, so this is very important to me because if you look at the top 10 leading causes of death in the US, the trend is downwards for everything except for Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's is the only outside of suicide, which is, of course, that's a completely different topic, but, um, Alzheimer's is the only disease where you're seeing an uptrend of the leading cause of death. And we have not had a single drug approved in the last 20 years. The closest one right now is Biogen's Atacanumab. Um, and the way that that drug works is reducing the plaques in the brain. And what they claim that they can do is um, not only slow the progression of disease, but potentially even reverse it. So that's really exciting. But um, what we've seen is that there's a lot of back and forth um, between, uh, well, amongst uh, Biogen, the FDA, and their ADCOM committee. So the ADCOM committee is a completely separate committee of experts and scientists who look at the validity of the science and saying, okay, is this actually working or not? Um, and what we saw actually previously, and this was a huge controversy, is um, the FDA has been very supportive of Biogen. Um, I think they just really want something to be out there after 20 years, just something uh, to say that we have some sort of treatment for Alzheimer's. Um, the ADCOM committee was not so convinced. Originally, and I think a lot of investors in Biogen uh, we're hoping that you know uh, we'll get some sort of answer by March seventh, but that's been delayed to by three months to June seventh. Let, let me jump in, Manisha. So a lot of times, like like let's say Simon is well, Simon is my boss, but let's pretend I was up for a promotion, and Simon calls me in and he says, "Let's delay the promotion." It's usually because he wants me to work on some things. Is this the kind of thing where they went back and said we want more data? or we don't like this number, can you keep working on it? It's it's kind of like, we wanna say no, but we really wanna say yes, so can mm -hmm. you get it from the no we are now to the yes we wanna be? That's a very confusing explanation. Manisha. I like this example. <laughs> that's, that's the perfect example. That's exactly what's happening. And you know the FDA just wants to say yes, like anything they can squeeze out. So they didn't wanna say no, so it's like, let's just, extend the deadline a little bit further so we can have a drug onto the market. Um, what's really interesting is, so uh, Eli Lilly, they came out with very uh, early data from their Alzheimer's disease, which um, because it was also based off of, uh, I won't go into the science here, but 
what we call beta amyloid theory. Um, it was good data. And that added 4 billion to, um, sorry, so 4 billion? Yes, or 4 million. I have to get back to you on the zeros there. Um, I'm pretty sure in the billions, but into the market cap for Biogen. And I mean, today they're not doing so well. Um, they had their earnings. And it's because everyone is banking on at a candy map being approved as a new revenue generator. Um, I would say that Biogen is amazing at anything that's neuro-based, um, but we're just not seeing that. And it's it's a debilitating disease, and I hope it gets approved as long as it works. But now we have to wait till June. So let me let me jump in with one last question here, Manisha. So. I'd like to think I've got a bunch of years before Alzheimer's is an issue, but you know, my mother's 70, my, my father's, actually they're a little older than that. Um, is this something where in the real foreseeable future, we're going to have Alzheimer's treatments or maybe a cure? Because that'd be a big relief as someone who uses his brain for a living and hopes to do this for 30 or 40 more years. I don't think we are close to that yet. I mean, we can barely even have a drug approved to uh, slow down the rate of neurodegeneration, uh, let alone having a cure. But I think with gene editing and just different processes, we have the tools now um, that we didn't have before to actually understand how the disease even manifests. So I think that's very exciting. And that's step one um, before we get to a cure. So maybe 20 years down the line. Um, I, I think that's in my time frame. I'll be 67 in 20 years. So, you know. <laughs> there you go. Get those pills ready. We're going to pivot here. We're going to take your questions. I've got a ton of them. We're not going to get to them all. We didn't know Jeff Bezos was going to stay, was going to step down. Anything we don't get to today, we'll deal with on Wednesday or Friday show. So if you're watching this, because I said on Twitter, hey, we'll take your question. We're not going to have time to take every question. There's also a couple of questions in the queue uh, that we'll try to get to. If I pronounce your name wrong, I apologize. I, I'm working on different setups and I'm sitting really far away from the monitor. So I, if I don't know who you are already, I may not pronounce your name correctly. That is not a snub. That is not, not an insult. It is simply because I can't see it all that well. Uh, but let's pull up the first question here. Will there be a bigger trend than EV in our lifetime? I'm going to speak to what Silvertrap asked earlier, and I'm going to say it's space. Uh, I think space is going to be electric vehicles will be part of space. Um, I don't know where we are in the cycle, but absolutely, yes. I'll go Simon, then Manisha. Yeah, I think that the, the trend that actually underlies <clears throat> uh, electric vehicles is batteries. And that's an even bigger trend than electric vehicles themselves is how do you hold the charge for a car? Uh, how do you power Internet of Things devices that you can't have the power go out on? I mean, there's kind of a ton of applications for for better batteries out there. It's been something we've been going after for a long time. Lithium ion is the, is the best solution right now, but we're looking at lithium metal. We're looking at solid state batteries. I think that that's going to be nearer term, uh, something that's even bigger in my opinion. Manisha, is there anything on your radar that's bigger than electric vehicles? Of course, uh, everything omics. So genomics, proteomics, epigenomics. Um, if, you, if you're not living, you're not going to use any of these technologies. So it's just extending healthcare and your lifespan. That's, that's my opinion. Uh, and yes, Steve Albert, I can properly pronounce your name. I appreciate the comment there. That made me smile and laugh. The next question comes from a, a regular viewer, a friend, someone I exchange email with, uh, Genghis On. And Genghis, I know I have something of yours I promised to read. I have been way behind on doing anything outside of actual work. 
Uh, he wants to know my thoughts on Simon's SPAC, not our Simon. I thought uh, this was a secret, Dan. We weren't supposed to reveal that yet. <laughs> yeah, not, not, not our Simon, not Simon from the, the, the chipmunks, uh, Simon Property Group. And they formed a SPAC uh, to innovate and to look at other retail opportunities. And he, it, Genghis asked, you know, should they be funding this from their balance sheet? I love the idea of them separating out part of their business. Simon has been expanding its business in that they've had to take over Brooks Brothers. They've had to take over some other retail brands. So if they can use a SPAC to create some technology, whether that be distribution or AI or whatever it is, that helps all these brands, that helps with mall traffic, I think that's adjacent to their core business. And if there's money to be had out there, go get the money. Like I think that that's really important right now. Um, Reese Parkinson says, What's your take on CRISPR versus Talon going forward? Read an article the other week which seems to insist Talon is better. Uh, I'm assuming they wanted to talk to me on this, Manisha, but I'll, I'll let you take this one. Of course. Um, so CRISPR is the newest modality, I would say. Um, well, there are other variations of it uh, in terms of gene editing. So editing your genome. Uh, that was discovered in 2012. Talon's uh, so that was discovered a few years prior. And what this research um, paper that he's referring to is saying is that talons is five times as or more efficient than CRISPR in certain areas of the chromosome. So um, our DNA uh, is basically kind of the way it winds and it's stuck together. We have 26 pairs of um chromosomes and just regions. So when I, how do I say this? So the, re, the regions where this paper is saying that's five times as more efficient, that means editing efficiency. So how often are you actually able to change um, the DNA that you want to, to something else that you are intending it to change it to? And that's a huge difference, but then you have to think about, so these are uh, regions of the DNA where it's um, non-dividing. And why that aspect is very important is when we think about gene editing, um, we're thinking about changing the root cause of disease. So not every portion of your cells are dividing. And um, if you can address the root cause, you can theoretically eliminate the cause of disease and have a cure. Um, so that's a simple way of saying it. Um, obviously there are nuances. Um, and I think that th this paper is not insinuating that. Um, talons, yes, extremely precise. CRISPR, much cheaper and easier to use. And they are, in terms of how much data we have from CRISPR, um, they can easily uh, come up to speed and become as efficient as talons. I think you need both gene editing uh, modalities. Um, you know, CRISPR at this point is ubiquitous. Uh, talons, uh, so the IP belongs to Selectus. Um, so it's a specific company, uh, so one company, but you also have to think about the cost paradigm. Uh, so CRISPR is extremely cheap, whereas Talons, they're coming down a cost decline curve, but they have yet to meet the same cost um, as CRISPR. So either way, I think you need both modalities. 
Simon, anything you know? Just, just, just kidding. What Manisha <laughs> said. <laughs> uh, Steve Simonton, if you're still watching, the last question that came in from uh, KVP27 is absolutely one we could answer. We, if we had time, we'd answer it online. But if, Steve, if you want to grab that, it's probably one we could answer uh, on social media or or in another show. It, there's just too much to get to, and I'm gonna I'm gonna summarize here. This came in as, as I believe an email to us from Taylor. Uh, Dan, I just thought a lot about retail and. People are working from home. People are changing where they're living. There's a lot of empty space. What is that going to mean going forward? So we're at an inflection point for real estate. Um, things are changing. Some offices are going to get smaller. A lot of people aren't going to want to go back or they're only going to want to go back part time. A lot of people might not live where they work. So you might see a transition to we have co-working. We might see more co-living. You see that in San Francisco now, but you might get like a a bed in a place where you live during the week or like Microsoft does in India where they have like college campuses where you just live for the week and there's, you know, dinners for everyone together. It's a bit like that in Seattle too, except you don't live together. There are communal meals. Um, so I think you're going to see a change. You're going to see a lot more real estate go to distribution. You are going to see some changes. Like we've seen this before. Starbucks closes 300 stores and everyone spins it as a negative. And the reality is those are stores that served residential or offices that moved or something changed. So if you put in a, a distribution hub that used to be an apartment building, they might not need a grocery store anymore. So we're going to see that kind of shake out. It's an interesting market. It's one that's pretty tough to invest in because I don't think we know the full extent of what's going to happen post-pandemic. I think for every person that was eager to move to Texas and not be in New York City, there's an awful lot of people who are eager to get back to living in New York City and always new generations of people who are doing that. Simon, anything you want to add on this one? Oh, great point, Dan. Let's go to uh, Simon hasn't figured out when I'm stalling for time yet, so I can uh, read the I, next question. I agree. That's a great point about the shape <laughs> of retail locations like Starbucks. This is uh, from Aziz Alawadi. Is, uh, why did all the mRNA vaccines only use spike protein as a target when they could have included all the structural proteins or split them amongst themselves for that matter? Wouldn't a diversified approach lower the chances that a mutant variant could, circum could circumvent vaccine protection? Manisha, I have, that, that's one heck of a question. Do you have an answer for this one? The simple answer is it would have taken a heck of a lot longer to get a vaccine out. It is biologically it's possible, but I think um, what the administration and what these companies were trying to do is get a vaccine out as soon as possible. Um, once they have that out, they can then think about other uh, you know, then they can think they have the time and they're increasing their timeline of, OK, what's a follow up vaccine? So right now, um, originally, when the uh, vaccines came out, OK, this is a pandemic vaccine. But do they have a market for an endemic, uh, uh, an endemic, um, I guess, uh, reason for having vaccines, kind of like the flu? Uh, so, for example, Moderna. Um, there are mutant variants of COVID-19 and they're saying, okay, well, our vaccine right now will protect against, you know, mutant variants for potentially the next year, but anything beyond that, they're not sure. So I think it's a lot of, we don't know what we don't know. So they're going the safe route. And also, if you have a diversification of, you know, we have, say we have five companies going after vaccines, um, 
against uh, COVID-19, if each of them are going or each of them are addressing it differently, the problem becomes, well, what's the efficiency? You can't compare these um, efficiency and efficacy rates. And that creates a problem because say one person who has a vaccine, they're, they're completely okay, but then you have someone who's maybe okay and it's hard to monitor that. So in a pandemic, this makes the most sense. Vaccinating, we talked about this on Monday show, vaccinating 330 million people is not easy. Uh, I talked a lot about how I got vaccinated volunteering at a vaccine site and the scale of the operation in one relatively tiny state is massive. And, and the infrastructure of managing volunteers and getting doctors there and just getting the vaccine out of the vial into the needles and into people's arms, it is really impressive. And I am glad they got us a good enough vaccine really quickly uh, because again, I am very eager to see people and go places and this makes it more possible. We're gonna take two more questions here. We are basically out of time. There's about 10, 12 more questions on the list. Wednesday show, Simon, Manisha, you're welcome to join. I've got Max on so we can get some of these biotech questions that we promised to answer in, um, but certainly you guys are welcome to come back. And if there's something specific you wanna talk about, uh, let me know offline and we'll communicate that on Twitter to the person that you'll do it the next time you're on, whether that be Wednesday or Friday. We appreciate so many people uh, communicating with us, but sometimes we answer questions in the thread. Sometimes we do it in the show. Sometimes we DM you. We try really hard at 7investing to get you answers. But uh, Anthony Caballero wants to know, at what point would you risk taking some profits on your speculative long position? He's specifically talking about uh, Virgin Galactic, that's SPCE. Uh, if you're watching a, a short squeeze happening, knowing that it might not come back down to buy it back. If it's happening because of a short squeeze, and Simon, I'll let you weigh in a little bit here too. If you own something, and let's say you bought it at 20, and it shoots up to 200 in an hour because of some weird internet thing, uh, it's probably okay to, to sell some or sell it all. Because if the reason is sort of artificial and outside, it might come back, but if it didn't, it probably played out your theory of where it was going to go. So if it truly is, uh, uh, I hate to use the word manipulation, but a weird reason, a manipulated reason, then I do think it's okay to get out. If it's just very volatile and shooting up and down because of the normal, you know, we saw a lot of the, the space stocks shot up, you know, when the, the ARC ETF was announced and and anything with space, they bought. Like people were buying Jetsons T-shirts. So like it didn't matter. Like they were they were buying Star Wars toys. Like it was it was going crazy. Simon, your thoughts here? Uh, yeah, Anthony. I mean, the the answer is how much conviction do you have in the fundamental stock? Right. The trade aside and the price of the, of the ticker aside. I mean, are are we talking about Tesla? Or are we talking about GameStop here? Right. And if it's a speculative long position that shoots up, you know, are you still going to hold on and have your conviction because you like how they're executing? Or is this the market completely getting ahead of itself and completely unrealistic expectations for the fundamental business? And so investing is personal. I, I don't want to tell anybody what they should or shouldn't do. But for me, it comes back to, um, you know, what's baked into the valuation and what's the performance long term of, of that company? And I had to say some things that a week ago I wouldn't have even have imagined I would have said it. Last question here, and it's for Manisha. Manisha, I'm asking this one. It's from Costanza Capital only because I am fairly convinced two of these words are made up. Is electroporation the best way to transfect cells? That sounds like something you'd hear on like Battlestar Galactica where they use like words that aren't quite English, but apparently you want to answer this, so those must be real words. Yes, so uh, electroporation is basically um, you're creating uh, these, 
I guess, micro holes in your cells. So then uh, stuff that you want to put in, it can go in easily. And yes, the answer is yes. That's the best way because it's the cheapest way. Uh, if you're doing it in vivo as in directly, so a vaccine, for example, directly into the patient, imagine not having a needle being stuck in you. It's just, uh, you just have a little device that creates electric pulses, creates um, um, small little holes in your cells, and then everything goes in. Um, it's cheap and it's efficient. Um, and that's why a lot of companies are using it that way. X by ex vivo, so outside of um, you know, the body. And if you're just trying to change the genes in a Petri dish, um, it's cheap. If you think about it any other way, you have to have like consumables, so different media, reagents, whatnot, then you have to spend a number of days. So it shortens the timeline and it's cheap. So many of you are asking questions. Sam Bailey, Steve Simonton, thank you for grabbing them. If you wanna grab the question from D, that's one we can answer on the next show as well. Grasshopper stocks are Andrew Sue, Rayal. Let's see, there are even more here. Another one from uh, Costanza Capital, Jeff Wilhite. We promise we will get to these before the end of the week. Again, we didn't know the world was going to go crazy. And one <laughs> of the biggest CEOs out there was going to quit. Uh, probably planned a little too much for this show. You guys can't see my script, but there's even a whole section crossed out that I've been <laughs> trying to do for like two weeks that we haven't been able to fit in. But the most important people are those of you watching, our members, the people. You're always going to drive what we do. So if we're getting a lot of questions, we're probably going to devote a lot of shows to taking your questions. If there's segments, if there's things about investing you want us to talk about, reach out, at 7investing. Tell us on Twitter. DM us privately. I just learned I could set it. So if, you're not, if I'm not following you, you can DM me. And I can still I can see your questions. So anybody can message me, and we're really excited about that. But we've gone too long. Sam Bailey, let's bring up the finisher because uh, this actually ties in a bunch of questions we didn't answer. Which speculative space has the most potential for big stock market returns? Forty-two point six percent said space. Twenty-two point five percent said cannabis. Twenty-two point five percent said rare materials. And 12.4% said plant-based foods. Manisha, sorry, I didn't put a biotech reason there. <laughs> I think it's space. I said that earlier in the show. Um, I really, really don't think it's cannabis. We're, we're going to do a cannabis-themed episode because I probably have the most cannabis experience in the space uh, covering the sector uh, because I, I, I've done shows on it for a long time. Uh, but that being said, cannabis, the product, is a commodity. So it's going to be really difficult to make money. There, you know... There are pick and shovel plays. There's adjacent benefits. Uh, you know, Scott's Miracle Grow is one we don't talk about that's done really well because it, it's adjacent to cannabis. But I, I don't think that's one you want to put a ton of speculative money. But I think space over the long term is going to be massive. Manisha, you're allowed to disagree with all of these. Uh, it's, it's omics. Uh, feel free to comment there. No, I, I think it's uh, plant-based foods. Uh, if you think about kind of our the anthropogenic use of our land right now for agriculture and feeding people. Um, I think it's it's plant-based foods. We are doing it more efficiently with the biological tools that we have now. And I think that will continue to grow. And then if you look at uh, just the culture we're living in right now, more and more people, um, whether it's because of climate reasons in terms of reducing CO2, um, they're increasingly going towards plant-based uh, diets um, and that's a trend that we're seeing. So I think this can become a huge area. 
um, that can grow quite quickly in the short term, especially compared to space, I would say. Simon, I'll let you weigh in a second. I want to take two questions uh, from Doug and from KVP. They're both asking, hey, how come you guys don't do a dedicated biotech show with with uh, Max and Manisha? And we do sometimes. Uh, so we've had regular podcasts focused on big conventions. We often have Max and Manisha on together on Wednesdays, but we all have other things on our plate and other things we have to do. So it's not always possible to bring the two of them together. And then sometimes, like today, it'd be weird if we did this show and we didn't talk about Amazon or we didn't talk about some of the biggest earnings. So sometimes we will do fully dedicated shows, but as news dictates, you know, we're, we're, we're not focused on what the news means in the short term, but we do have to talk about the long-term implications of something major like Google's earnings or even more major like Jeff Bezos stepping down or stepping up, as I've been saying. So we do do that. We do hear you. Uh, but sometimes it's just not possible for schedule, and sometimes it just doesn't make sense with what the news is. We're a really diverse team, and we try to reflect that uh, in terms of what we do in this show, all the different areas of expertise we could bring up. Simon, last word. Well, Doug, gonna... let, yeah, let me chime in too, Doug, and say that, you know, check out uh, a couple of resources. If you do want more dedicated focus on a specific topic like biotech or like genomics that Max and Manisha like to talk about, uh, check out our, our Seven Investing podcast, which comes out on Tuesday and Thursdays. That's just seveninvesting.com slash podcast. Tomorrow, Manisha's got a high level executive interview. Uh, with a biotech company that's doing some really neat things. And they're going to be nerding out on that for 45 <laughs> minutes. So that is definitely something that I think would uh, be of interest to you. And then also check out our research portal too. That's seveninvesting.com slash research. We've now consolidated all of our research into a single portal. Some of it's only available behind the paywall for subscribers, but we do have a lot of it that's also public facing where each of our advisors can write content about whatever they want to and publish it whenever we want to throughout the month too. So some a couple of resources too, if you wanna, we only have a couple of minutes to hit each one of these topics on this show, but we do have a, a much more deeper look in some of those resources too. Yeah, and, and, and I'll toot our horn a little bit. We actually have a meeting this afternoon about how we're going to do this, but we're all chomping at the bit to get more stuff out there. And the ideas that are coming, I think it was Steve who threw out, or maybe it was Manisha, that if we're putting in all this effort to answer a question, there's probably other people who want to see that. So we're going to take, with permission of the person we're, we're interacting with, you ask a great question to us privately, we might make that members-only content where you can see that content on the site. Uh, our enhanced... As long as it's okay with you. If it's a private right. question, we, we, you definitely respect that too. Right. As I said, with permission of the person who asked the question, um, and in some cases, if it's a generic question and they don't want their name on it, with, you know, maybe they'll give us permission to use the info, whatever it is. We, pr we protect anonymity, but obviously a lot of people are openly sharing with us on Twitter. There's going to be more content. We're also using, we're about to launch an enhanced search where you might go, geez, I remember they talked about something on 7investing now two months ago. You'll be able to type that into the search on our site and get a transcript or find that episode so you can get that information. We are constantly working to make things better. If you have questions for us, there are two ways to get to us. Info at seveninvesting.com, that is our email address, uh, or at seveninvesting on Twitter. We are all pretty active on Twitter. Uh, if you tag us in something, we are pretty likely to comment on it or jump in. Uh, the only ones I feel weird about is when it's praise. If it's somebody saying something nice with no question, I usually just heart it. But if you have a question, I will answer it. This has been a long episode. So many of you weighed in. 
We appreciate that. We again, we had no idea last yesterday when we were writing the show exactly what was going to happen today. For Simon, for Manisha, I'm Dan Klein. I will see you on Friday. Thanks, everybody. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.